So we're going to talk about grace for one more Sunday. We're in a series called Grace. Let's pause and pray and get back into it, shall we? Lord, we love you and we thank you most of all for the way that you love us, the way that you care for us, the way that you're so attentive to all the ups and downs of life. And we just thank you for teaching us again through your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I felt like on the way over here, Today we're going to talk about grace-based relationships to wrap up this series. And I felt like on the way over here, I felt like the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying uh, he's going to stop some bleeding. And what he was talking about was relationships. And there's some relationships, come on, that are just hemorrhaging, if you will. And and that's okay. There's ups and downs. I'm I'm not saying that I condone that. I'm just saying that's okay. That's sometimes where we're at. And sometimes relationships can go awry. Come on, somebody. You've been in an environment where you're like, if it weren't for the people in this place, this would be a great job, right? Y'all been in a church where it's like, this church is amazing, except for the people in the church, right? You've been been in families where you said the same thing. But guess what? You know, it's actually people that make or break everything and your relationship to them and with them, right? And so it's hard to get that place. But you know where in scripture, I think, I think it's actually in Isaiah because then I didn't look it up, but where it says he binds the brokenhearted, it really looks like he, he, he heals and he binds the brokenhearted. The picture there, I studied it just briefly a while back. I'm gonna look that up again. But it's really how you bind a wound and properly dress it and clean it and properly apply pressure and gauze and bandages and set it up and promote healing in that place, right? So that it can be clean and it can be healed. And that's exactly what he's doing to some of your hearts today and some of the relationships in your life. He's coming to bind the brokenhearted. Sometimes it takes time. That's that's a picture of something where he promotes healing and it takes a little bit of time to get back on your feet, amen? But today I believe he's stopping the bleeding and promoting healing in that place. And so can you believe that with me today? In Jesus' name. Those of you joining online, can we just welcome the online guests right now? I know there's always about 40 or more people. 40 or more gadgets, which could be more than 40 people, I don't know. I can't jump through there and count them, but there's at least uh, oftentimes 40 gadgets um, connecting. So we love you guys. Thanks for joining us. So let's talk about grace-based relationships. And so I, I personally do not always see people, well, what I would say, through God's eyes. Can anybody relate? Because I would sometimes find that a mystery. I know what people are like, and people know what I was like. You know, I can be rude sometimes. Not anymore, thank God. You know, I'm never rude, right? Just ask Alicia. No, I'm always perfectly well behaved. No, that's why she doesn't want to drive with me. Um, for some reason, I'm the anyway. <laughs> But no, there was a time, especially before Christ, that I just had a really, really difficult time figuring out why God would love some people. (laughs) That just made no sense to me. But you know, the more I discovered God's love for me and how he could forgive me, I I had to go on this long journey to see people, and I'm still on that journey, how about you, to always see people through God's eyes. And that's not always easy. I would see people as big obstacles, quite frankly, and sometimes play the victim and all of that until you get God's perspective. And he's like, you know, success and happiness is not based on other people. Come on. And I find that, I found that convicting in my life many times. And it's like, you're not a victim unless you want to be, you know, things like that. Now, I know like some people get victimized. I'm talking about a long journey of feeling like the victim. Does that make sense? And 
Um, so, so the job, you know, the jobs that we're in and the churches that we're in and the families that we're in, can we go on a journey just this morning to maybe stop some bleeding and saying, and saying, God, I want to see from your perspective. Does that, does that sound good? I want to start with a very convicting scripture. At least I find it convicting in John 13, 35. It says this, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, somebody say, oh gosh. <laughs> Likewise, the opposite would be true. If they see us not loving one another, according to a grace-based gospel worldview, right? If they see us not doing that, then you wonder, you know, what they think about us or they see Jesus. And so, and so I, I get convicted by stuff like that. And um, we need, a, we need a, a grace-based view of the gospel like we talked about. We need a grace-based view of God so that we don't misinterpret God's nature. We need grace-based language, as Pastor Ray taught us um, in our vocabulary, and then a grace-based worldview. And all those things matter to have grace-based relationships. Amen? And so <clears throat> somebody say, God, help us. So we know that Jesus is the answer. I know that's really cliche, you know, but it isn't, at least, that, but it, it, he is the answer. But oftentimes it's like, how to unpack that and say, well, what exactly does that mean? And what does that look like, right? For Jesus to step in and rescue us in these places. And John 1, 17 says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And, and so according to this series, we're always saying, you know, it's the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ that is the answer to all of these situations that we find ourselves in in the world we live in today. Um, so we can reject. We can reject his promptings. We don't have to partner with the Holy Spirit if we don't want to. You know, he's always coming to lead, guide, and direct. Uh, or we can say, I want to embrace the work of the Holy Spirit who is living within us, and, and, and I just pray that that's where our hearts are right now. So I want to dive into what I would call five key elements for a grace-based relationship. Um, for a grace-based, thriving relationship to prosper, let's say in our marriage, come on somebody, anybody know marriages that need help today? The enemy's out to kill, steal, and destroy marriages for sure, but all relationships he's not fond of. Did you know that? The enemy's not fond of especially God-fearing relationships one, one with another. It was with your children. He hates that too. <laughs> he, hates, he hates wonderful relationships with friends and coworkers. He absolutely doesn't like relationships with bosses and leaders and, and all of that. But he's especially, I, I find, you know, in, in the culture we live in, I, I definitely see a lot of damages in marriages. Why? I think one, one main reason is because marriages reflect Christ in his church. That's what it says in scripture. And so he's like, I don't like what that looks like. I don't like the unity that I see there. <laughs> So I want to do a disclaimer. Can I do a disclaimer before I go further and talk about elements of grace-based relationships? Because here's what happens is when we talk about these types of things and conviction sets in, what I'm not saying is that it's okay to stay or condone an abusive relationship. Does that make sense? So we do not condone abusive relationships, not in marriage, not in families, not in workplaces or in churches and not anywhere. Uh, not physical, emotional, and spiritual abuse is never God's will and should not be tolerated. Can I get a simple amen? Yes. We should be taking care of people to rescue them from abusive situations, not condone it in any way, um, even helping them escape an abusive situation if we need to. None of the biblical principles shared today, I don't want you to take it the wrong way, 
that it would be condoning an abusive behavior one toward another. In other words, staying in an abusive friendship or even, even a marriage if you're, if you're in danger there. What I'm talking about is grace-based relationships that biblically apply, so take it like that and don't say, well, then I have to suck it up and, and be abused. That's not true. Is that okay? Man, you still need to forgive. That, that's part of the journey and part of the healing process, so I understand that. But we met people that, that believe that, and um, uh, it's just, we just don't agree with that. So I have a second disclaimer, though, and this one's just as important, and it goes like this. The, the principles um, that I'm going to share, the, the, these principles can be part of your life if... You're living in the tree of life that is Jesus Christ, as we talked about last Sunday. And if you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, which is, which is what's actually compelling you and causing you to live biblically. You're not living in rebellion or rejecting God, but you're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then, and then I would say, and then and only then can you experience his grace like toward you in these areas that we're going to talk about poured out toward others. How many know Christianity is not meant to live on your own strength? The Bible's not like a list of thousands of rules that you have to try to follow in and of your own strength. You're supposed to walk in relationship with someone who empowers you. His name is Jesus. He empowers us by the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's the way to walk into grace-based relationships, by letting him come into you and then out through you to others. Does that make sense, somebody? Because what happens when we preach like this and conviction can come, some funny scriptures that we talk about, you're like, I got to fix that. I got to fix that. And that's great. Except that, number one, we should be praying, God, help me. God, empower me by your Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit says, glad to do so. That's why I'm here. I'm going to help you change that or to stop that behavior and so forth. Does that make sense? That's, that's the way we need to see the grace-based gospel. So y'all ready for number one? What do grace-based relationships look like? Number one, it's called humility. Somebody say humility. First Peter 5.5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Hallelujah. I want to jump to Philippians 2, starting at 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, here it is, in Christ Jesus. See, you can have this mind among yourselves, which is yours because Jesus lives in you. Amen? Again, expecting unbelievers to get this. Is, is not an expectation we should hold over their head, right? Because expecting unbelievers to behave like Jesus is a little ludicrous in our culture. It's like, please just behave well. Yeah, well, they're not compelled from a place of within, are they? So pray for salvation for the people, you know, first. And get them filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they're compelled in, in these things, especially in the areas of humility, so we should then expect to be opposed by God and man if everything we do just benefits us, right? Benefits me, that's why I do it. As opposed to growing in favor and influence, you know, um, when we partner with the Holy Spirit in your life and then your actions start to benefit many others. Amen, somebody? Somebody say, give me humility, Lord. Number two, mutuality. Somebody say mutuality. I need to explain this very carefully, but there's a place we get to when the Holy Spirit is really compelling you in love toward, toward another person where you stop 
where you really put aside things like a, a me versus them mentality or, or a looking down upon because you figured some things out. You're more amazing than most people because you accepted Jesus Christ and they didn't. That makes you powerful. You know, I'm just, that's just my sarcasm coming out. Uh, this is not, I'm not behavior that I'm condoning, but there can be a us versus them mentality. How many have met evangelists that you're just, you're watching them minister on the street or somewhere and it's a little cringe. Why? Because it has no humility and you can tell that the evangelist is coming across like they never sinned a day in their life. I'm going to tell you, it isn't real. Everyone needs the same salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ at the cross. Every single person, rich and poor, every nationality and every race, come on, every, every place on the planet are all in need of the same Savior and of the same grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to put yourself in a place of pride and, and almost talking down to, not almost, but talking down to people in a way like, like debating them into the truth. I'm not real fond of that. These, 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 these heavy debaters that try to, it's like if you could be debated after hours of like back and forth to get somebody to bend to that truth, somebody will debate them right out of it the next day because they just got seriously debated into the truth. I bet they'll get debated out of it the next day. That's how that works. When the Holy Spirit is present and humility is present and there's mutuality there. What do I mean by that? Let me read some scriptures. Um, Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And some people like to avoid these kinds of scriptures, but it's a submitting one to another saying, you have wisdom, I have wisdom, I have something to learn from you, you can learn something from me, there's mutuality. Does that make sense? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. Doesn't mean you're sinning now, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's what I'm saying. We come across, especially to unbelievers or even other Christians, like, you know, my <clears throat> doesn't stink. <laughs> Let the reader understand. It's annoying and it's judgmental and it's not mutual. So let me, let me, let me say what is really powerful is when I've seen it, so some evangelists on YouTube or wherever else you watch them or whatever channel... Some of them will say, I was bound, but I saw the light because someone preached at me and I got rid of my addiction. And I got saved from years of fear and I got saved from years of stress and anxiety. I was about to kill myself, but I didn't. Why? Because Jesus and the, and the, and the person being evangelized is, is now relating going, wow, they're human as well. And they needed a savior. And I think I do too. Does that make sense? That's, called, that's what I mean by mutuality in a grace-based relationship towards someone else. Isaiah 56, I'm sorry, Isaiah 53, verse six, it says, all we, somebody say we, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Somebody say, I'm a sheep. So just to picture, I want to, I want to drive this home because I, I, I'm messing with culture right now. Come on, you know, y'all know some people that, that really need this message, and it's probably not you. It's the person that's not here today. Y'all <laughs> like my sarcasm today. But let's just say that there's a shepherd who has a flock of sheep, and then mostly in the springtime, remember we had some sheep back on the farm that, that I grew up on. It was really wonderful springtime. There was lambs bouncing around, and we would just stand sometimes and watch the little lambs bouncing in, in, in the meadow. Um, but when, when lambs are born, um, who, who's the shepherd at that point? The same shepherd, right? 
I'm probably not making my analogy super clear, but it's not like, it's not like when, when you beget someone or you lead someone to the Lord that the shepherd takes, the great shepherd himself almost takes like a back seat and says, well, now you're the shepherd. Does that make sense? Or I'm the shepherd because I'm the pastor or something like that. No, we, we, there is one great shepherd of us all. And we want lambs and we want people to come into the kingdom. We want people to be born again and born again, right? And come in. But, but we are all still sheep. Does that make sense? I'm a sheep and you're a sheep. And we have one great shepherd of us all. So if I'm a pastor and if I'm a good pastor worth any salt, I will be shepherding you to the great shepherd himself. Does that make sense? If I'm a prophet, I'm speaking in a way that makes you learn to hear from God for yourself so you can be shepherded for a lifetime. Amen, somebody? Somebody say, I'm a sheep. Finally, 1 Peter 4.10, and I just want to throw this in here in the sense of mutuality. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's very, as good stewards of God's very grace. And so I want to just throw out one more thing. The best marriages that I've seen, I'm just going to mess with some of you before I move on, just pretend I get on my soapbox here. You know, years ago, politicians didn't have microphones, so they would stand on old soapboxes. That's where that comes from. And just shout across, you know. So a few people from my past told me, man, you like, I, I like your soapboxes the best. And when I, when I left Lifeway, they got me actually an old soapbox from like, <laughs> because that's what I would do. I would just go off and spout about something. And, that, and they said, that was my favorite. That's the only thing I remember from your message. <laughs> remember any scriptures you shared? Just remember your soapbox moments. But I just want to get on a soapbox right here and say this. And we've journeyed with, with marriage after marriage after marriage, including our own, through many years now, Alicia and I. And we love doing that. And, but the best marriages that I've seen are practicing a mutuality and a submission toward one another. The husband can, can faithfully submit to the wife and say, you have a lot to offer and you have a voice. And the wife can faithfully submit to the husband one to another. Did you just read the scripture? And say, you have something to offer. I need you. I need you. The, there's a place in scripture that says the two become one. Should we take you back to Genesis? There's a mutuality in a healthy marriage that looks like this. The two becoming one. Not like this. Husband, wife. Okay. We'll talk about that some more sometime. Now look for all the supporting scriptures about that because those are the healthiest marriages that we've seen where a husband and wife journey together in mutuality and learning to, to have a grace-based attitude toward one another. And I'm just, I'm just saying there's really something to that and there's a lot of scriptures to support it. Amen, somebody? I'm gonna move on and just let you just, just take that home and talk about it over lunch. Okay. Amen. We're called to crush narcissism in our culture. Come on, somebody. Uh, let's go to number three. Number three is called, uh, when, when we have this, this type of grace working through us toward others, we become treasure hunters. Somebody say, I'm a treasure hunter. That is the spirit of Christ within us. He's a treasure hunter, and he's looking for value because he sees value. You know, if you're in the sound of my voice today, you're sitting here, you're online. You are not a mistake. You weren't born by mistake. You are not a mistake. That is a lie. Let me just stop and break that lie if that's circling around in your head because he sees value in each and every person's life. 
And he's trying to teach us to do the same, amen? Matthew 13, starting at 44, the parable of the hidden treasure. And the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field, because he said there's a treasure in that field. And um, the next parable, right after it, is this, the parable of the pearl of great value. Somebody say great value. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and then he bought that treasure. I don't know how you interpret those scriptures, but today I want you to think about Jesus is that treasure hunter. And he sees something in you of tremendous, tremendous value, worth giving up his entire life to purchase that thing, right? And he says, I saw you, I paid for you at the cross because I see something in you that is 100% redeemable. Everyone's created by God, is valuable, and in his image. Everyone has the DNA of God. Not everybody knows it, so therefore they don't behave as such. Does that make sense? I'm not saying everybody, you know, um, uh, everybody's going to heaven because you can reject it and walk away, but God is still their creator. He created them. Everybody has a talent, a personality, even a spiritual gift that's worth mining out, and we can assist in that process with a grace-based relationship towards someone and start asking the Holy Spirit questions about what is in that person that you see valuable? Can you help me see the same thing? Some people, it's very clear. Some people have voices like angels, <laughs> gifts of prophecy. Some people are so gifted at it, gifts of administration and leadership. And some people are just really gifted at building homes and building businesses. And, and, and you can, it's not hard to see some people's gifts. And others, you kind of go, oh, gosh, I need help. <laughs> Am I being too real for you? <laughs> you've, been, you've been there? It takes no gifting at all whatsoever to see dirt in people. You, that's not the gift of discernment. That's just you being human. Gift of discernment is the Holy Spirit revealing something to you that cannot be seen by natural means alone. That's called the gift of discernment. We are naturally inclined to see crap, to see dirt, and to see fault. Come on, look at your kids. You didn't even teach them to start fighting with one another, did you? <laughs> my brother, you know, and so my sister, right? You're not even teaching. Why? Because we're naturally inclined in and of our human strength and our flesh to see fault with other people. That's not a spiritual gift. It takes the gift of God to see gold, to see diamonds, and to see pearls, and then to mine that out and maybe help them get some of that dirt aside and bring the treasure to the surface. Amen? That's a grace-based relationship. And Paul said some strange things throughout the Bible. Come on, do you agree? Some things that make you go, huh? Here's one of them. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, Paul said this, I wish that all people were like me. I didn't meet Paul, but that's just an interesting thing to say. Some of you were like, yeah, I've said that. The world would be a much better place if they would all be like me and think like me. But then he says this, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And I, before I move on, I just say, can we ask the Holy Spirit to help us recognize this in one another, especially here where we, we practice right here with one another, but then, of course, wherever you go to work and wherever your family goes this week. Amen, somebody. Number four, grace-based relationships are filled with eyes of faith. Somebody say, eyes of faith. 
And I don't wanna explain that because this is what happens when you partner with the Holy Spirit. And there's many other things, but I'm just picking out five today. There's a place in John when Jesus was picking his disciples. In John 1, 48, he saw Nathanael and he said to him, uh, Nathanael said to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. In other words, I saw you in advance of where you are today, and I saw you down the road, in other words. I saw you before you're standing here saying yes to following me because I can see what you're about to become. When Jesus was picking his disciples, I kid you not, you just read some of the stories of those disciples. Come on, the old fisherman, Peter, the, the young guy, John, who's probably only this tall. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. But you kind of go, you, you scratch your head going, seriously, Jesus? What's going on there? These guys weren't learned men, you know, except maybe the tax collector. But Jesus could see what they were before they actually were. Does that make sense? Romans 4.17, I want to read this in the ESV. This is the kind of God that we serve, and this is what then he brings to us and helps us do the same. It reads like this, God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist yet. I want to read it in the Living Bible for emphasis. Did you get the Living Bible in the overhead? If not, I'm going to read it to you. Romans 4.17 in the Living Bible, it says it even better. And this promises from God himself, who makes the dead live again and then speaks of future events with as much certainty as though they were already past. That's the prophetic nature of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ is to look at something and say, I can see what is. And again, that takes no skill. You can look at someone and go, oh my gosh, help us, Lord. Or you can look with eyes of faith and use your sanctified imagination that God birthed within you in that amazing brain of yours and say, partner with me, Holy Spirit. Help me to see what you would want them to become. Help me get a picture in my mind of how, you, how they would be if they were a follower of Jesus Christ or if they would say yes or if they would be free and on and on and on. And you can actually work with the Lord in seeing people what they're made to become rather than just what they are. Again, you don't just ignore what they are. You still might have to set some healthy boundaries. Again, there's, you know, I'm not condoning staying in abusive relationships, but at the same time, we should be getting the picture from the Holy Spirit to say, I can see what is, but what could be is a different story, and then dream with God about that. And when I was working um, in, in production management, I hired this guy for this story. I think I'm just gonna call him Randy, but when I hired Randy, he was a punk, and he was a party head, and he was a, and he was a weekend drinker, and, and when I, I saw him come in some Mondays, I was like, oh, wow, I don't know if I, sh I should keep this guy, especially running machinery like we were running. This is probably not the safest thing. You know, but, um, and he was a bit of a bodybuilder too, so he had this, all this weekend stuff going on, and he was going to events where he was winning some awards for bodybuilding and things like that. And um, one day we had a conversation about God, and I discovered that he was raised in a Christian home, was just extremely backslidden, and just ran away from it all in his teen years. And so we had a few conversations about God. Anyway, long story short, he went through a few crises. I led him back to the Lord. We had, to, and then we would meet after after work sometimes and have some discussions about Jesus. So we formed a relationship, Alicia and I, with him, you know, and his uh, girlfriend, who later became his wife. But there was a moment in there where I was praying for him, and I had this I had this moment where I was like, Bruce is just so unsanctified. <laughs> Randy, sorry. <laughs> now you know it's Bruce. <laughs> So unsanctified. 
I was trying not to say his name just in case he's watching from afar. Anyway, we, we walked with him for quite a while until his career took him to New York City. But um, anyway, wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful story. But I had this moment in there where I was like, I'm praying for him, but I just don't know what to pray. And I got this picture. I had this picture in, in my prayer time, one moment where I was like, what would Bruce look like if he starts to worship Jesus? And he did. He actually came to church with us for a bit. And, and, and there was this moment where I, in my mind's eye, I was like, well, he's, he's kind of a bodybuilder dude. You know, he's definitely bigger than me. And he's much too cool to dance around. You know, he's much too, much too cool to shout and holler. I can't imagine what some guy like that. I said, this, this would be him if he would worship. He would just be cool about it. And he would just stand and worship like this. That's how he would, that's how he would worship. I'm just thinking as I'm praying for him, I'm like, Lord, just give him a heart of worship. I kid you not, weeks later, he actually came to church with us. And I looked around. He was a couple seats behind him. I looked around. And that is exactly what I saw. He, was, he had come to the Lord, he was learning to worship, and in his cool self, you know, the big old bodybuilder dude, he was just standing there with his eyes closed, worshiping, right like that, exactly what I saw. And I just sort of rejoiced inside because I was like, Lord, give me eyes of faith to see what is possible in a person, what you can do in a person long before it actually is. Amen, somebody? I want to see the best. And I'm convinced that Jesus walked this way and acted this way. I am convinced that when he looked at someone, he didn't just see a cripple. I think he could see them dancing through the temple before they were actually healed. Come on. I think he could see the woman at the well the same way. He could see the evangelist in her. And no one, I can tell you, no one in that town saw that lady as an evangelist. And she told the whole town that same day that I met the Messiah. No one else labeled her an evangelist. She's like, I met the prophet. You must be a prophet guy. <laughs> She's like, yeah, Eddie man. Come on, somebody. Eyes of faith. Eyes of faith. We need eyes of faith to survive. Who's in your life right now that you need to see differently through eyes of faith this week? I suspect there's at least one or two. And then finally going into the, the fifth point, a grace-based relationship is filled with forgiveness. Somebody say forgiveness. And I know we preached on this before, but I can't not say it because it's such a pivotal part of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Uh, let's go to Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want to describe forgiveness just a little bit before we move on. Forgiving is not approving or condoning someone's behavior or actions. Can I get an amen? It's an act of grace, which you've already received from God, right? You received it from God, and then you extend it toward another person, thereby releasing them from any debts owed to you. Therefore, it sets you free from the place of pronouncing judgment. Why is that important? Because forgiveness means you get out of the way and let God do his business and stop trying to do the business of God. Amen? Why do I say that? Well, Matthew 16, 27, there's a few places. It says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. You see, he's the great judge, and he knows what that person needs, doesn't needs. He can see the heart. Come on, somebody. He can see people's heart. And if he wants to take a, a, a Saul-like person who was a Christian murderer and turn them into a Paul. That is his business, is it not? And if he wants to do the Ananias and Sapphira deal where they drop dead on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit, you know, I'm going to step away from that. I don't even know how to theologically wrap my brain around some of that stuff. 
But God says, that stuff belongs to me. And then in Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. And so we simply get into a place in these grace-based relationships that I'm promoting today to say, I choose to forgive, and I step back out of the way, and then I say, God, I trust you. I trust that you're the better father. I trust that you are the ultimate judge. You know how to deal with that person. Uh, I know I've said this before. I think I preached it here. But oftentimes what I do is I remind myself that he is the great shepherd and we're all sheep. And I go, God, they're your kids. You deal with them. And I would want someone to do that for me too. I would want God, you know, I want God to be my judge. I want to stand before him and say, come on, God. I want to get wrecked in your presence. I actually want to be molded and shaped into your image. And I would love if people would allow God to do that in my life instead of stepping in the way of God. Because he's done a great job. Come on, somebody. He does an amazing job if we let him. How many times have we gotten in the way? Come on, somebody say, I trust you, Lord. I want to wrap up by saying, by reading 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and kind of drives home what I said earlier, but Paul says it this way, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. But then he says this, it wasn't really me. He said, though it wasn't really I, but the grace of God that is with me. Does that make sense? Because something compelled me supernaturally to do what it is that I'm doing. And that's what I'm submitting you today. We can be compelled supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit that has taken up residence within us to look at all the relationships around us and all the things that God has given us and say, help me, Lord. You are the power. You're the wind in my sails. You're the power by which this is all possible. So because of the free gift of God's grace, you're compelled to love others in this way, as we just read, and then forgive as you've been forgiven and see with eyes of faith as God enables us. And even as, even as God has seen us um, before we were saved, perhaps, or even, even when we were young in the Lord, to say, I see new possibilities. And then we look at others the same way. God's grace within, within us compels us to be treasure hunters. Come on, and then look for the very best in people and find some hidden treasure there because um, we recognize that people are indeed created in his image. And we hope that they recognize that as well. God's grace leads us to serve others, submit where possible, and then live a life of humility before God and other people. Can I get a good amen? amen. Would you all stand with me today? You're such a wonderful audience. Love to see all your smiling faces out there. <clears throat> before we go further, I just want to ask if you know the Lord. I will always do a quick salvation message and say, do you know this man, Jesus Christ, who wants to come and compel us all to love in this way and to fill our lives in such a way that, that, it, that it's not difficult to say, I have grace-based relationships or, or grace-based worldview, a grace-based gospel that finds its way working out through me. Do you know the man, Jesus Christ? Have you made him Lord of your life and invited the Holy Spirit to empower you in this way? If not, I would love for you to just raise your hand today and say yes to Jesus, and we say a simple prayer to get you launched. It's not the end all, but it's to get you launched in relationship. Every eye closed for just a moment, and we do this every time just to give people some personal space so they're not thinking about you or the person next to you. You're thinking about you and your life and where it's headed. 
If you're here today and you're saying, I need this power. I really need to know that Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm not sure where I'm headed. Would you raise your hand right now if you're ready to say yes to Jesus and declare that he is Lord? I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else at all? If you're online, type it in there. Say, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. You can put your hand down. Thank you so much. Let's all pray together. Let's all pray for the sake of these people. Say, Jesus Christ, I surrender to your will and to your ways. I repent of all my sins and I receive your full forgiveness. You are my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to empower me, give me gifts of grace toward others in my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Let's celebrate the ones who said yes to Jesus today. We bless you on that journey. If that was you, you say yes to Jesus, whether I saw you or not, or you secretly raised your hand in your heart. Um, we would love to give you a book. If you'd stop by the Next Step Station, we have a book called Following Jesus. We'd love to help you on that journey. And uh, we'd love for you to fill out the connect cards. We can uh, contact you and just pray with you. We won't show up at your door, I promise. <laughs> Um, but if you're a guest today, likewise, we would love to hear from you. Fill out a connect card. Let us know what we can do to help you on your journey with God. And um, as always, we're going to have prayer teams, you know, right after our final worship song. We're gonna, you know, if you need prayer for anything at all, whether I preached about it today or not, if you need prayer, we want to contend with you for all that God's doing in your life. There'll be prayer teams here and here. We would love to lay hands on you and agree with God. So y'all ready to worship one more time again? Thanks so much. Love you guys. <clears throat>